0: that's a question are we evading god's plan to get god's promises and i think this is the question that the text poses and we'll find that question really is going to strike at a personal heart and a personal response for every hearer today including this preacher so i'd ask if you would turn your attention first and foremost to the holy spirit and the word and as we look at the word following the reading of scripture, we're going to ask uh, publicly for prayer. We're going to just pray and ask the Spirit of God to give us understanding in this difficult topic this morning. Let's, let's read the word. Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went in to Hagar, and she conceived When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress. And submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahiroi. Observe it, observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. May the Lord add a blessing to the portion of this difficult word, and may we ask that blessing of him now. Our gracious God and heavenly fathers, we bow before you. We ask that you would quiet our hearts, that you would empty our minds of the frustrations of the week, of the fears and concerns of next week, of the troubles of today, that you would move uh, in, um, in our midst this morning in ways that I cannot move, that the preached word through a human means and method and messenger cannot accomplish. We claim your promise that your word will never return empty and it will accomplish its purposes. And so as we look at this text and we ask the, the pointed questions about it, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you'd give us understanding and comprehension, speed and alacrity to hear and to be doers of the word. We know that each one of us has a responsibility before you to respond according to the truth we've heard. And I pray that you would allow us to be distraction-free in your presence this morning. And may the spirit of God do the work of God by changing us to be more like the word of God, that is the son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we do pray and for his sake. Amen. So as we ask the question, as we title this message, Evading God's Plan to Get God's Promises, I'm going to start with a heavy hitter. Are you evading God's plan to get God's promises? Am I evading God's plan to get God's promises? You say, Pastor, I'm not sure I understand what you mean by that question. Well, let's again focus on the text. The theme of this section is this, genuine faith is clearly contrasted with human ingenuity. There is a distinction in the text made clearly by the God who sees and the one who hears with human ingenuity versus genuine faith in the God who sees and hears. And so what we're going to find as we ask the question Uh, of ourselves this morning. What are the characteristics of these contrasted realities of human ingenuity versus genuine faith that the text presents? We're going to see characteristics, and there's really two main points today, and we're going to see that with several characteristics of this contrasted difference between human ingenuity versus genuine faith. And so last week, we discovered the four ways that active faith in God's promises produced action in Abram. And that challenged us to live by faith like him. Though Abram's faith was indeed tested, we found that his growing faith produced a faith that declared God's word to be true and life-anchoring, his Amen or Amen faith. We learned last week that this active faith came with rich parallels for our timeless applications to the word, and that faith in God's promises always leads to action from God's people. Now, where last week's text brought us to the heights of soaring faith, God's deliverance, today's text showcases just how much sin destroys. We pick up the short story 10 years after Abram and Sarai's settlement in Canaan. This is sometime after God's sealing, uh, after the mountaintop victory over the coalition of kings. And certainly after God's sealing his amazing promise with an unbreakable covenant based solely on his unchanging character. In fact, that's how chapter 15 ends, right? God promises. He walks... Uh, through this sacrificial gift through the blood and based on his blood promise his blood covenant he says i will bless you and i will give you prosperity and a progeny and he even lists the land blessings at the end of chapter 15 we should find our characters then in chapter 16 living out their dynamic faith clinging to god's great promises right yet that is not what we find in the text They're not living out their dynamic faith. They're not clinging to God's promises, though they have reached a dead end. In fact, I would declare to you that when we see the God who sees us, we will believe in the God who sees and hears the God of promises, even when we see a dead end. And so, Today we will see human ingenuity contrasted with genuine faith and the characteristic results that follow. First, we will see in the, in the characteristics of human ingenuity that evade God's promises and that breeds hopelessness. And we're going to see this in verses one to six, and then again repeated in verses fifteen and sixteen. Lastly, we will see that genuine, the genuine faith in God who promises. That brings grace and blessing. And there'll be a subtle, there's a subtle distinction there. I hope you noted it. Not only did we, will we see first the characteristics of human ingenuity that evade God's promises, but we're going to see in the second and final point that genuine faith is in the God who promises. Do you see the subtle distinction? Faith in God, not in the results. And that's where human ingenuity ruins things. So what we find in the text, not the soaring heights of faith, not our characters now walking in learned response to God and his glory and his grace, which is what we would like to see, right? Abram's just had this incredible experience with the almighty God, creator of the universe, who's promised rich and eternal blessings to him. And instead of continuing to walk by faith, Abram and Sarai switched to human ingenuity. What we find in today's text is this impatience that is so prevalent with all of us. Sadly, I think we can relate to both Sarai and Abram. And today, as we walk through these characteristics in this first point, I want you to know that as the preacher in the pulpit, I have had to wrestle with the personal application. And so I am not delivering a message to you that I haven't first digested and ingested. And it has been a painful week. What we find is human impatience often leads to scheming to earn a promised reward without the sacrifice of faith. We find the tragedy of human unbelief that springs from good intentions. Seeking the proper end. Look with me again at verse, 5, uh, verse, uh, excuse me, verse 20. Um, at uh, chapter 15, verse 20, verse 18. Excuse me, To your descendants I have given the land, from the river Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And then he lists all of these kingdoms, 10 kingdoms, 10 nations. By the way, what I tell you about the numerology in in Genesis, the number 10 is usually the number of completion for the Gentile nations. He's, He's naming the 10 nations that are in the land proper at that time, but he's essentially saying, I'm going to give you the comprehensive promise of dominion over all humanity. That is a mirror or a match to the promise that I will give you a descendants or descendants who will be greater than the number of stars and far more amassed than the sand of the sea. Now, this is a literal land promise as well. Abram's descendants will own from Egypt to the Euphrates and everything in between. But this is a striking contrast to what we find in chapter 16, verse 1. Now based on all of these promises, God has promised. They're walking by faith. There's been great reward. But now, Sarai, Abram's wife, has no kids. She's faced with a dead end, a tremendous dilemma. She has not been able to provide for her husband, in her mind, to provide for her husband the thing that he so desperately desires, deeply craves, and immensely brags about. And so, we find a human tragedy, born out of human impatience, transitioned into human scheming. We find the tragedy of human unbelief that often springs from good intentions seeking the proper end. We'll see today, though, that genuine faith follows the God who sees even when what we see is a dead end. Genuine faith follows the God who sees even when what we see seems to be a dead end. And so today, let's take a look at the first contrasted characteristic, the characteristic of human ingenuity that evades God's promises and breeds hopelessness. Look with me at verses one to six. Again, Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant. You can see the wheels turning. The promise of God is rich and at her fingertips, yet night after night, cycle after cycle, month goes by, months go by, weeks go by, years go by, a decade has expired. No child. What's wrong, God? I thought you promised. I have an idea. I'm going to think of a means to attain the promise of God without the sacrifice of faith. And what we find here is not just an epic failure on Sarai's part. So so ladies, lest you feel uh, I'm I'm being unfair, actually I think the full weight of this text uh, rides very heavily on Abram. And I think you'll see that as we walk through the text here. Yes, Sarai is his partner in life, Yes, she is the the mother of the seed of promise yet to be fulfilled. Yes, she is to be the blessed one. And she does fail here in this reality with her husband. But I see the very first characteristic of human ingenuity that evades God's promises and breeds hopelessness is leadership passivity. Notice, who is the first player in this process? Sarai. Now listen, I hope you understand. In the beginning, God created male and female. He gave Adam Eve, the mother of all living, and they were to be heirs together of the grace of life. They were to partner together. He was to rely on her counsel, and they were to together uh, have dominion over the earth. But just as in the beginning, Adam, his passivity... His unwillingness to say no thus saith the Lord let's not disobey here he set the seeds of destruction for a long-term history of the truth that we have found in Genesis thus far sin destroys friends here Abrams leadership passivity destroys his family and what we find in the context here is that this human impatience becomes a knockdown, drag out problem that has not ceased till today and will not cease until Jesus remakes this earth. So, what we find is Abram's past and present failure. Don't you see the interest here? In fact, we were introduced to Abram in chapter 12, right? The story of Abram gets interrupted with this little hiatus that Pastor Stephen preached to us when we got to chapters 13 and 14, and you remember what it was? Abram's traveling in this land that God has promised him. He meanders on down to Egypt, and what happens? Pharaoh sees his hot wife. Okay, I'm getting a little, you know, modern here, right? That's basically what the text says. Abram's wife is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. Abram knows it. Abram refuses to trust God for the blessing and the benefit and the protection that God has already promised him. And he makes up a, a, albeit moderately true, partial lie scheme to conceal his wife's identity by saying she's technically my sister, and she was a half-sister. And so, Pharaoh takes her for himself. Thankfully, he doesn't consummate the relationship, but God sends plagues on the Egyptians and Pharaoh's household, and Pharaoh releases her and gives Abram a bounty, basically a dowry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Hagar is one of those gifts to Sarai. So, Abram's passivity... And Abram's problem, his unbelief in God's ability to keep his promises, started way back in the day. When he took his family to Egypt and he didn't trust God and he let this thing play out where his wife was in jeopardy. And so it's ironic here, it's an ironic reversal. As one commentator put it, down in Egypt, trustless Abram had given Sarai over to the Egyptian pharaoh. Now in Canaan, untrusting Sarai gave Abram over to her Egyptian servant. Abram's fiasco in Egypt is costly indeed. There is a leadership passivity. Friends, the way God intends relationships and marriages to work is a mutual trust Mutual encouragement, mutual conversation, and what Abram should have done was say, Sarai, I am so sorry that I haven't included you in the promises of God. We have to wait patiently for God's perfect timing. It is not your fault that 10 years into the promised land, we've not yet received God's blessed inheritance of a seed. But instead, he passively goes along with a plan that he knows is not best. The second characteristic we see is unfiltered assertiveness. Moses wrote the account as a parallel to the fall in the garden, by the way. This is irony of all ironies. Not just do we see the uh, Egypt reversal, but we see the parallels to the fall in the garden. Um, by the way, this comes from the Expositor's Bible Commentary, uh, Sailhammer in Genesis, Volume 2. Moses wrote the account as a parallel. Sarai's action was parallel to that of Eve. Here, Abram listened to his wife, just as Adam listened to his. Here, Sarai took Hagar, just as Eve took the fruit. Here, Sarai gave Hagar to her husband, just as Eve gave the fruit to hers. And in both cases, the man willingly and knowingly partook. There's unfiltered assertiveness along with leadership passivity. The result of Sarai's scheme is now predictable. What have we learned? Sin destroys. Sin destroys. In fact, listen to some of what Scripture says in Proverbs 26.10, says this, the great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. Abram is acting foolishly. He's not leading his wife through this decision making. He's passively uh, going along with an assertive aggressiveness, and he is about to receive the wages of transgression. How about Proverbs 16, 25? There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And one other good understanding. Proverbs 13:15, good understanding gains favor. But the way of the unfaithful, that's the same word for transgressor, the way of the unfaithful or transgressor is hard. Abram is leading his wife passively, Abram is uh, participating in unfiltered assertiveness. God's way isn't moving fast enough, God's not moving quick enough for my needs. I want what God has promised now, not later, not tomorrow, not a week from tomorrow. I'm going to jump ahead of God. I am going to have an unfiltered assertiveness. I am going to walk by unbelief, walk by sight and not by faith. If there's a dead end, I'm going to plow through it, baby, because I've got God's promises on my side. God surely will bless my unfiltered assertiveness and my leadership passivity, won't he? There's a third characteristic we see in the text, human collateral damage. And friends, this is the heartbeat of the narrative. Most of the narrative is spent sort of passively or ironically, just black and white, monochromatically stating the obvious. And and let me tell you, the obvious is not fun to see. Hagar is the abused one. This woman is in the middle of an assertive aggressiveness, of an unbelief and a leadership passivity that has caught her in despair. And she is the collateral damage. I'll say more about this in the next point, but suffice it to say, the human suffering as a result of Sarai and Abram's human ingenuity and failure to walk by faith is extremely destructive. Hagar was treated as a commodity instead of a woman created in God's image with incredible value. Hagar was a gift to Sarai, and Sarai abused the gift, and thus denigrated the gift and the giver. Friends, we must walk by genuine faith that follows the God who sees, even when what we see is a dead end. We've seen first the characteristics uh, contrasted, The first characteristic of human ingenuity that evades God's promises and breeds hopelessness. Now let's take a look at the beautiful part of the story. And that is characteristics of genuine faith in the God who promises that brings grace and blessing. We'll see this in verses 7 to 16. Characteristics of genuine faith in the God who promises that brings grace and blessing. What we find here are three characteristics of this genuine faith in the God who promises that brings grace and blessing. In fact, Abram and Sarai, the big players so far, the people that are to be the inheritors of God's promise, the one in the line of that Genesis 3.15 promise, whose seed will ultimately crush death and hell because sin destroys, but God delivers, and the promise of God's deliverance surely should be Abram uh, Abram and Sarai, Right? But the focus of this text is not the faith of Abram and Sarai. In fact, Abram and Sarai's faith is is not found in this text. Their faith has turned to unbelief. Their leadership passivity and and, uh, their their assertive aggressiveness in attempting to do uh, through human ingenuity what God has not yet done for them that has ultimately led to human collateral damage is huge but here the story highlights something beautiful and that something beautiful is highlighted around someone whom we would least expect and so as we look at the characteristics of faith what we're going to find is genuine faith in god in the midst of a dead end is something that you and i can have like hagar did what we find is humility in the midst of injustice in fact the characteristics of genuine faith that follows the God who sees even when what we see is a dead end the first characteristic is humility in the midst of injustice Hagar submits to the Lord the story is replete with injustices did you notice throughout the text i hope you caught this we've read it i've read the beginning of it multiple times now do you notice that sarai and abram never call hagar by name Do you notice that? Hagar's name is mentioned by the divine narrator. We're told that the maidservant's name is Hagar, but Sarai calls her her maidservant, her servant. Abram says, your maidservant. She's his wife now. But never is she called by name. What an incredible injustice. She is just a commodity to be used to get a means to an end, oh friends, if this weren't such an amazing story of God's grace, this would be a a very painful story indeed. And yet humility is showcased and highlighted in the midst of injustice. The divine narrator reveals this to us. Friends, did you know when we act in selfishness and attempt to circumvent or shortcut God's plan for our lives, we leave a wake of hurt and pain all around us? I, I wish I had time for deeper application, but um, I will. If you're part of the college and career group, you'll hear some through our Q&A tonight. But I can tell you this: if God has saved you and set you apart. And you have an eternal blessing and a heritage that does not end and the circumstances of your life seem hard and arduous difficult even wearying the abuse that you might have experienced or are experiencing seems overwhelming and you attempt to circumvent god's plan uh, trying to maneuver and scheme and manipulate your life in a way that would please yourself and get you out of the problem and a failure to trust god then you will be wake of human collateral damage here the proper response is humility, humility. And what we find is that the shortcutting of God's plan will never, never be effective. Maybe you've been a, a victim of incredible injustice in your life. Let Hagar's humility and faith lead you back to the God who promises and the God who remember, and remember that the God who promises is also the one who who will bring justice? Can I share with you a few promises to that end? Romans 12:19 is a quote of Deuteronomy 32:25. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. Deuteronomy 32:35. Vengeance is mine, and recompense their foot shall, shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and things come to hasten upon them. This was. Uh, God's promise to the children of Israel as they were going to enter the promised land. Vengeance is mine, and recompense belongs to the Lord. Friends, if you have allowed bitterness to creep into your heart for the abuse or the circumstances in your life that are challenging, that seem to be a dead end, God's promises seem to be out of reach, beyond the door that you can't get through, you and I must walk by faith in humility. We must trust the God who sees. Listen to Revelation 20, verses 11. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. God is keeping track of every thought, word, action, and deed ever done by every human ever throughout history. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now you and I understand that it's not works that save us. It is faith in the finished work of Christ that saves us. But we will be judged by our works. And this is speaking specifically of unredeemed humanity that has rejected God's one and only son and his finished work. They will one day stand at a great white throne before the heaven, the God of heaven, and he will open every book and they will be judged by their works. And there will be no hiding from God. The sea will give up the dead. Death and Hades will deliver up their dead. And they will be judged each according to his works. And ultimately, death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Friends, I realize I'm speaking to a primarily saved crowd today. This doesn't apply to you. But this does apply to all All of those who are haters of God and haters of God's people, all of those who have heaped upon God's people the injustices over the centuries, over the millennium, God knows that sin destroys, but God delivers. Hagar was facing incredible injustice. She was a commodity. She was abused. She was taken for her womb. And then she was despised by her master listen to what Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, who will all people at his glorious appearing. You see, friends, humility in the midst of injustice came immediately when Hagar heard the word from the angel of the Lord, and she believed. You see, as we look at the text in verse 7, now the angel of the Lord found her. Hagar runs, she escapes the abuse and the injustice. And by the way, this is not a bad thing. You know, just, just a social comment. If, if there is injustice or abuse that that is directly being heaped upon you, find help. Escape. There are, there are authorities that are available for that purpose. But here we find her escaping. And who finds her? The Lord. The angel of Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, Yahweh, found her by a spring of water, by the spring of the way, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? He knows. She says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, and the Lord says, return, submit. What gives her the strength and the capacity to return and submit? It is none other than the character and the nature of God. Hope that recognizes God's character. You see, Hagar humbled herself, because she had hope in the nature and the character of the God who sees her. Friends, faith is not blind faith, or faith in chance, or faith in fate, or faith that something in, in the end will come, or faith in karma. Real, genuine faith that pleases God, that gets us past the dead end, is hope that recognizes God's immutable character. And though we uh, no, uh, there's not a word here about the great promise to Abram, in this text, by the way, or Ishmael's prophecy, as part of the promised land. To some degree, this son of Abram would be a shadow. So her child would be a shadow, a parody of the father. His twelve princes would be notable, but not in the same way as their father. And so, yes, she gets a promise: you're going to have a son. He's going to be of of great. Uh, Hope or great um, strength and number, but her hope is not in that promise. Her hope is in the character of God. By the way, Hagar names the Lord. Hagar blesses, God blesses Hagar for her faith, and she responds by calling on his character and naming him in a way that highlights who he is. She recognizes his omniscience and his omnipresence by calling him the God who sees. And the text tells us in the New King James that we have today that she not only calls him by a name that she gives him, but she calls the place by a name. And instead of translating it, it the, the, uh, gets transliterated in our King, New King James translation, Be'er Lahayroi, But it actually translates into uh, the well of the living one who sees me. So she calls him the God who sees and she calls the place where God who saw her the well of the living one who sees me. So she doesn't just recognize that there is a God out there. And like the agnostic, there is a God, but he can't be knowable. He's far off. No, no. She recognizes not only is there a God who's omniscient and omnipotent, but there is a God who sees me. He's called me by name. Notice she doesn't introduce herself. He introduces him by introducing her name to her. Friends, did you know you have incredible value? God loves you so much that he knows your name. No matter what you're suffering, no matter what you've experienced, you can hope in the God who sees you and knows you. And here's you and maybe your life isn't moving at the pace you think maybe the promises of God aren't coming as quickly as you would like Maybe your life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would but friends the promise of God in Jesus Christ is eternal hope Eternal life escape from eternal damnation a place in his perfect eternal Eden of the new Jerusalem with no more sickness No more sorrow no more crying no more cancer no more death What more can you ask for? What do you need in this life? Houses? Wealth? Materialism? Will it satisfy? Will it give you what you want? Even a a prosperity, even physical children and family and blessing. Do you realize, as Paul told the Ephesians, you who were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus and you have been adopted into the family of God. You have been given all the benefits of being a son of God, like Jesus, the son of God. There's no earthly thing that will ever match the, the beauty, the wonder, and the power of God's glory and eternal life with him. In fact, Paul says this, I has not seen, neither has ear heard, nor has it entered into the thoughts of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Oh friend, do not shortchange yourself. Do not diminish God's promises in your life by pursuing now what you want so aggressively with Passive, passive leadership and, an, and a commitment to blunt and crazy decision-making. No, walk by faith and humility. Submit to the God who sees you. Know that God loves you personally and has a plan for your life. You must have the hope that recognizes God's character. The third and final characteristic that we see in this text is that faith obeys God's request even when it leads to further hardship. Notice what the angel of the Lord says to her. Verse 9. She says, I'm fleeing, verse 8, from the presence of my mistress. He goes, Return to your mistress, submit yourself to her hand. No caveat. Do right. Do right till the stars fall, a famous evangelist used to say. Don't quit. Don't give in. Don't listen to the wiles of the devil. Do what God has commanded, no matter how hard it is. Obey God, even when it leads to further hardship. Now, the story, the story showcases what we already think in our minds when we're reading it. If she goes back to Sarai, this is going to be a disaster. And guess what? It's a disaster. She goes back to Sarai, and Sarai treats her just as harshly Sarai gives no benefit. In fact, Sarai has nothing to do with her handmaiden anymore. She gave her handmaiden as a commodity to be a wife of her husband. She doesn't call her by name. And by the way, under that law, she should have named the baby herself because that was supposed to be her baby in lieu of her gift to her husband through the surrogate mother. But instead, she rejects the baby, rejects the mom. Abram has to step in and name the child. Now, there is a glimmer of hope here. The angel of the Lord tells her to name her son Ishmael. By the way, the, the name Ishmael means he hears. Not only does she say, he sees me, he's the God who sees, and he has sees me at the place, he's, he, this is the living one who sees me. So not only does he see all things, but he sees me personally, but he also hears me, and I'm going to name my child he hears. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to be reminded God hears. God knows my suffering. God understands. God is with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. No matter how hard life gets, no matter how difficult the end seems, no matter how dead my end is right now, I have an expected hope. I have a future with God. God is going to give me an expected end, and it's far greater than I could possibly imagine. Don't shortchange God. Don't shortcut your faith. Don't walk by sight. Faith obeys God's request even when it leads to further hardship. Hagar knows God to be everywhere at once, all-knowing and all-hearing. She comes to know the God who sees and hears. Her son's name will remind her of this throughout her life. One commentator said this, The patriarchal stories in Genesis feature numerous instances where individuals are promised descendants. In fact, we've already seen some and we're going to see more. There are six in the book of Genesis um, where God promises Abram himself to receive descendants. There's even one to Isaac and to Jacob. But did you know that Hagar is the only matriarch in all of the Bible to receive such a promise? The only one. This places her alone among the matriarchs. You see, her faith was so great. Listen, friends, are you hearing me? Hagar came from nowhere. She was a nothing in society. In fact, go all the way back to Genesis 5-11. chapter, five, chapter 11, uh, What we find is she is a descendant of Ham. Ham was the one who was cursed. His descendant Canaan was cursed because Ham was the one who made a mockery of his dad. She is a Hamite. She gets nothing. And yet God includes her in the great string of faith. She is a matriarch on the same level as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Not because she deserves it, but because she placed her faith in the God who did. She obeyed God's request, even though hardship was still imminently present. By the way, that quote was from Hamilton in his commentary, the book of Genesis. She was the only person, male or female, in the Old Testament who conferred a name on God as well, by the way. She's a lot of firsts here. (laughs) Nobody else gives God a name, but Hagar does. What an incredible honor for an Egyptian slave girl whose entire life has been typified as a commodity. No matter what circumstances you're suffering, friends, God never treats you as a commodity, but rather as a person with incredible value. Did you hear what I just said? You are a person with incredible value. Don't give up on what God has for your future. Don't sell yourself short. Hagar's story is a common one in the sense that we live in a world of sin's destruction, don't we? We live in a world of faceless, nameless people that are under persecution and abuse violence is replete throughout our world christians are being murdered and persecuted but people humanity in general in general has been put down by the slave driver the father of lies the the dragon the devil and friends god wants you like hagar to have faith that obeys his request even when it leads to further hardship. Faith that hopes in the God who always sees, the God who hears, the God who will always make things right. Today we've seen human ingenuity contrasted with genuine faith and the characteristic results that follow. First we saw the, characteristic, uh, the characteristics of human ingenuity that evaded God's promises and bred hopelessness. And I'm going to close with this. This is a perfect mirror of Jesus's own New Testament parable. One of my favorite passages in the entire New Testament, Luke chapter 15, three parables of lost things. Remember lost coin or lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons. The prodigal wanted everything now. He's so disrespected his father, that he took his inheritance and he uh, and he took and he left his home with all the earthly possessions that he was deserved. He acted as if his father was dead. He turned his back on his father and he left and he went to a foreign country and he spent it on riotous living, the scripture says. And when he came to the end of himself, all those friends he had spent his money on, all those people whose lives he invested in, they all left him In a pigsty, literally. He was eating pig slop. I I grew up in eastern North Carolina. I visited those pig farms. You can smell them from miles away. Because they eat where they defecate. And it is disgusting. That's where he found himself. Abram and Sarai... Are like that prodigal they'd been given the tremendous promises of God I will bless you you're gonna have land from Egypt to the Euphrates all of Ur and Babylon and Chaldea it'll all be yours it'll all belong to your people you're gonna have descendants greater than the number of the stars and the sand of the sea and instead of trusting God and for his timing they wandered from God and said no God I want it now But just like in the Luke 15 story, God the Father is always patient. He's always loving and he always pursues every prodigal. In fact, the Luke 15 narrative tells us just like this one, that God was looking always, the Father was always looking and when he saw his son afar off, he ran to greet him. Here, Hagar is running for her life in despair. She's at the edge of Egypt and God says, Hagar, I see you. I'm here for you. God finds her. She doesn't find God. God finds her. And maybe you're here in this room and you've forgotten that God knows you. He loves you. He sees you. He hears you. And you need to turn back to him today. Don't be like Abram and Sarai. Don't be like the prodigal that left the father's household. Stay in the fold in the place of blessing humble yourself submit to god's means and god's end no matter how hard the hardships are because friends the eternal hope and blessing to follow is far greater than we can possibly imagine genuine faith follows the god who sees even when what we see is a dead end so in conclusion today we've seen this human ingenuity contrasted with genuine faith and the characteristic results that follow. My question to you then is personal. Based on the title of this message, which path will you follow today? It's never right to do wrong to get a chance to do right, one famous evangelist used to say. Will you sacrifice your future blessing for the seeming satisfaction of the present? May God help us to be like Hagar, to submit in humility and love, to place our hope and trust in the God who sees and hears. Let's pray.